recording the Aim High Podcast. Aviation made easy. With your host, Mark Payne. The Aim High Podcast. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Aim underscore high. And now, the world record holder for fastest flight across the United States in a single-engine aircraft, our host, Mark Haiti. All right, hello everybody. This is Keith Schertz. I'm actually feeling for Mark. Sorry for the disappointment. I am not the world record holder for fastest flight across the United States in a single-engine aircraft, but I am somebody who is interested in aviation and today really grateful for the opportunity to uh, have our guest. He is a pilot for uh, SkyWest Airlines. We're going to talk to him today about what it's like to be a commercial pilot. So, Dustin Ivory, he's a pilot for SkyWest. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Glad, glad, glad to be on. First thing I want to ask you is, obviously, you know, this show is listened to by mostly people in the general aviation world. But I think that a lot of people first get started in it, and there's a lot of people that obviously, you know, have ambitions to get to the commercial uh, level. And so, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you is... What was kind of your path to becoming a commercial airline pilot? Well, uh, my path started out, I actually didn't know, and I, haven't, I didn't grow up in a family where the aviation was even considered uh, something to do as a hobby or as a career. Um, so I started out in a university that kind of walked me through their program in a Part 141 environment, um, really um, with little knowledge of the general aviation world. All right. So uh, I finished... I, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so you did a, a 141. At the end of the 141 uh, school, so university school, what sort of ratings do, did you graduate with? Uh, well, we finished there with the uh, CFI, CFII, and associated ratings that come with getting that, and then um, also a multi-engine uh, rating, and some people even got the multi-engine instructor rating. I completed that instructor rating um, and the multi-engine at two different places. Um, because by the time I finished up my training and at least the college experience there at the university, I learned enough about aviation that I knew I wanted to get more into general aviation and kind of learn more of what the Part 61 world was like, so I kind of ventured out from there. Okay, so then you started to build your flight hours. Did you do what most people do? Did you just... Uh you know, become a CFI at a flight school to try to build some flight hours? Was your end goal the whole time to be in in uh, commercial flying? Well, the, the university that I had and that I was at, there was um, a direct path into becoming a flight instructor there. And that was a lot of people chose to do that. Um, but I kind of wanted to expand my horizons a little bit. I wanted to learn more about aviation because I learned to love aviation and I kind of wanted to get a different angle. So I actually... Uh, looked around to do some flight instruction up in the Pacific Northwest. That was in 2002, and there really was little instruction job. Uh, finally got a job at a small part uh, 61 school in Redding, California, and uh, started flying there. Um, so the opportunities were available for me to stay at the university, but I just kind of wanted to go out and get a new experience somewhere else and kind of give me a little bit more variety in, in my flying. And just like Anybody, you know, you just kind of grab whatever flying you can find, um, whether it's flying for somebody that's local at the airport or flying for a university or, or whatever you can do, scenic flights, um, just to get your feet wet. And once you start 
getting to know people in the community, um, flying just starts becoming more and more available. Yeah, no, that's kind of way, way I did it. Yeah, from what I'm gathering, you know, it's really important to uh, try to you know find find your niche within the airport itself. Uh, that's one of the things that Mark talks about. That you know, it says it takes an airport to raise a pilot. Is one of his uh, was one of his sayings about that, and so you got started in Redding, California, and you built flight hours by taking on odd jobs. Do you have any interesting, you know, experiences with that, or? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because because the airport environment, um, uh, like um, Mark, correct? Mark says, um, you know, it, it it's a really cool environment to be able to hang out and do hangar talk. I remember. I had an eye-opening experience with over a, a can of pickled asparagus and uh, just hanging out with the maintenance crew. I mean, we didn't hang out with the maintenance crew really at our, our university, <laughs> uh, but, you know. And so it was kind of an awkward uh, feeling. But they're just good guys. They're out. They just finished their job uh, for the day, and their job for the day, and we're just hanging out watching the sunset, and they were drinking some beers, and we're eating pickled asparagus. And, and uh, How is pickled asparagus? It's delicious. Is it really? Especially, yeah, it's wonderful. Especially the homemade brew uh, that those guys had. The, uh, it was really good stuff. Um, Do you have to homemade brew it, or is there like is there a place that you can get pickled asparagus? I, I'm pretty sure that there's pickled asparagus just at the grocery store. I don't. Are know you serious? Yeah, there is. I've seen it. I've I, seen it. I don't I, know any brands or anything, but uh, it's there. You've seen it. I've been to the grocery store several times, obviously, and uh, <laughs> I've never noticed pickled asparagus. Not that it would have, like, you know, ever occurred to me to get it, but so a good way to spend the evening uh, sitting out on the tarmac, having some hangar talk, pickled asparagus, and some brews, huh? Yeah, right, right, and you, and uh, and and you just kind of make connections. You get talking with people. And before you know it, that that, that guy had a situation where he said, "Hey, I, I know somebody that um, does uh, fire spotting for a local um, company here that has a lumber company, and and you should you should talk to him." So I got talking to him, and that turned into additional flying for me, and and then those connections turned into more additional flying and volunteer flying. And but talk about and fire spotting avenues. Obviously. What Northern California? There's uh, lots of big mountains there. Unfortunately, a lot of business in the fire spotting world, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. This guy had a souped up 182 um, that he had built to be able to go up and fly into those mountains, and uh, you know, and he just he'd been, you know, you go up for about three hours doing uh, turns around a point in canyons and getting bounced around. You get tired of doing that every day, so. He, looking for someone to kind of relieve him from time to time. And so I would go up, and, and instead of pulling out a sectional map, you would pull out the topographic map, and you would have one radio connected to the uh, Forest Service and the other radio con- connected to uh, Unicom, and you just kind of make your way through where they've been cutting for the day and make sure there's no blue smoke coming up. Wow. It, was, it was a really fun experience, um, but it wears on you after several hours of doing turns around a point but it, i had a great time it's such a great opportunity and it just it comes out from uh just getting to know guys and getting getting out and, and and talking and just becoming part of your local community at your airport and every little airport has its niche and you can find something there yeah, it's really pretty cool yeah i know something at the airport down here spanish fork airport u77 one of the things that uh, i know has become a thing down there is getting involved with search and rescue 
Uh, I think that's something that people do around here. So, yeah, I guess – so I, I never realized that, but it's it's pretty important, huh? Hang out at your airport, you know, just get to know people, and you, you get more and more opportunities that come from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done anything uh, recently, but I know that the FAA has safety programs uh, that they run at all the local airports that – you can go there and kind of get to meet people that way. They used to call them the Wings Program. I'm not sure if they still refer to that. Um, and, and that's a great way to get to know people or, yeah, just hang out at the airport, the local cafe. Uh, don't be shy about talking and ask people about their airplanes. I mean, uh, if there's anything pilots love to talk about is, is flying experience in airplanes, and that, and that just opens up uh, new opportunities. And, and if you do it with general interest instead of with, you know, alternative motives of, maybe getting flying, um, you know, you actually create friendships and, and flying will come. Well, and actually just last week in the, <clears throat> on our show, they got talking about how a lot of people, you know, a lot of airplanes out there aren't getting flown because the owners of them are getting older and older. And how, you know, if, if younger people wanted to get into it, I, I'm sure that, you know, there's people who would love for you to, you know, take up their plane or less let, let, the, let you, uh, you know, ride with you and, and all of that. So anyway, it's I, yeah, I, I yeah. think it's an interesting deal. Uh, and, and for me, I think that, you know, uh, the part of aviation that might be the most appealing is the community that comes with it. I, I think maybe most people on the other side are, are, are more about just the feeling of actual flight itself. Do you have a place where you land on that, or? Um, yeah, I think I think that I, I do like the aviation community. That was the eye opener. That's kind of why I wanted to get out of the university setting, and not that the, that I didn't make friendships there, and it wasn't a, that a, that setting is a bad experience. It's just that there's so much more that general aviation can offer than just a fast track to get to the airline. There's so much more that can be offered uh, in the flying community that people skip sometimes. It, I do fly with guys that they do go the fast track, and, and I'll talk to them about some of my experience, and, and they'll say that they're a little bit saddened, that they just put their head down and got their ratings and, and did their instructing, and they hated their time while they were instructing because they just couldn't wait to get on to the next step. But I, I enjoyed every minute of my instruction um, just because I, I embraced my local community and the local aviation group. And it's, it's amazing... Um, the stories that people have, and and usually people are pretty willing to embrace you and, and bring you in. They, you know, love to be part of the community. So yeah, absolutely. That's well, been a terrific part, and all of it's good. I've, I've loved the flying on top of uh, being part of the community. On the flying end, uh, I wanted to ask you. You know, are there things that were more normal to you? Uh, so, in speaking with you before, you've mentioned that. Uh, you know, I was talking about how, you know, you may land your general aviation airplane at, at I don't know, what, 60, 70 knots. Uh, and you were saying that that would freak you out now uh, because you're landing in jets that go much faster. Are, are there things that were, like, commonplace for you in general aviation where now if you were to kind of fly in a general aviation airplane again, things that you might be uncomfortable with because you've been so used to having so much power behind you? Yeah, I, I think it's possible. I think that, you know, you, you use all your senses when you fly. And so um, when you're flying in general aviation aircraft from the smaller piston airplane, you know, you pull the power back, it gets quiet, and you can hear the wind rustling. And, and uh, I think that would be a little bit, uh, you know, you, you fly in a jet all the time. Right. There's different noises, different feels that you feel that your senses get used to. And so you respond to them in the way that you're used to. 
And so they go back to general aviation and, and, and not get those cues anymore. And all of a sudden you hear nothing but the whistling of the wind. That might be a little unsettling. <laughs> I, I, I don't go, unfortunately, as much as I love the general aviation community um, finances and such, uh, I haven't been back into it as much as I would like. And so I would love to be able to say the differences, but I don't. I haven't yeah. flown a uh, small general aviation aircraft for quite some years now. So I'd like to find out, but I, I don't know. All right. Well, anyway, I just wanted oh, to, yeah. you know, you come yeah. to, come on down. I'm sure we can get you up. That'd be that'd be fun. Yeah, I, I definitely would love to do that. We talked about that before, and it just never lines up. But we'll we'll do that. Um, I'm looking forward to doing something like that because it's nice too. It's a little bit of a freedom instead of uh, pushing back and going from A to B on on the flight plan. You can you can do whatever you want yeah. for, within reason. You know, yeah. it's really nice to be able to have that freedom. You know, the mountains look nice or whatever it is. You can fly for scenery yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're, you're done in Northern California, right? And then what I understand is, is you then end up in Seattle and then that takes you to the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, how did that work out exactly? Uh, well, yeah, so that's where my first Part 121 gig came. Is, uh, I was just... Um, flying, doing um, different flying. I was flying uh, twin engines, Cessna uh, 310. I uh, was doing some volunteer flying for the local uh, life flights and uh, just kind of making my way. And then things started moving again in the regional uh, airline industry. So I put my application out there because uh, I didn't want to move on, um, even though I was enjoying as much as I could my flying. And I had some connections with some uh, people from um, I knew in Seattle. And they uh, mentioned that Island Air was hiring and uh, that they got some people that would actually give me a recommend. So I got those recommendations and, and put in an application, and, and they gave me a phone call. So I uh, thought, well, we're still young, and I'll continue this journey and go experience flying in Hawaii. So we went out there and lived in Honolulu. And is flying in Hawaii as fun as it sounds? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's given us that uh, airline regional airline environment so you don't get the freedom that you would get maybe flying um general aviation out there but it, it is really nice there's, it's really cool to be able to um fly off the coast and, and fly through rainbows i didn't think you could actually literally fly through a rainbow serious but, wow. but it can be done so it's, so that's a really cool thing and they got some um it's just gorgeous out there as you can imagine watching the Wells migrate through and, and be able to fly over that. You don't see too many uh, whales flying for Sky West now, huh? <laughs> no, no. From time to time, maybe in Monterey Bay and such, but uh, no, no, it doesn't happen. Wow. And, and it was great. You know, the, the trade winds kicked my butt a couple times with crosswinds. They can get pretty exciting. Um, so there's different challenges there, and I got to meet some fantastic folks um, and a different perspectives about. Uh, how to approach flying, um, and uh, it was great. It was uh, I, I was really grateful to be able to go out there. Ah, uh, man! So, Plus, you got to live in the islands a little bit, you know, coconuts around, hula skirts. Yeah, right. Paradise, <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> That's what they say. Hawaii's paradise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what it was. Well, there, there's some really nice <laughs> things about it for sure. There's no doubt. So, uh, it was terrific. I, I always say, I always say, you know, if you ever, if there's ever an element while you live in Hawaii, it's always cured by the beach. I even had, 
a friend of mine, a local guy, I had a cold that I was battling for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And he and so I was like, I can't get at this kick, you know. He says, well, you climbed out to the beach? No, I didn't think of that. You go to the beach. What? Serious? I went to the beach. I went, I went swimming, yeah. I went swimming, got a little bit of salt water, and uh, I felt better. So it, it does work. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. It's all in my mind. But, at uh, placebo. Beach placebo. <laughs> Absolutely. But it worked. So oh, man. I, I became a believer. <laughs> That's crazy. That is so funny. That they, yeah. <laughs> well, you're not feeling well. Go to the beach, of course. Yeah, of course. What? Haven't you gone to the beach yet? <laughs> I didn't think of that. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> never. It never occurred to me, sir. But uh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, All right, yeah. and then and then so from there you you and then you end up in at Sky West. And yeah, I, I went to Sky West. I came back to the mainland because uh, there was some reduction in flying there at our local uh, airline, and uh, Sky West was doing some major hiring, and, and I was hoping for the opportunity to get an upgrade here at Sky West because there was a lot of movement at the time. And it didn't happen. I'm still sitting on the right side uh, because just like anybody that gets into the airline, timing really is, is incredibly important. But I haven't ever set reserve here, and, and so I've been pretty fortunate that way. A lot of guys have been many years on reserve, and that's, that's a rough duty. Right. Um, so, so you made the decision to leave, and, you know, you, you make your decisions and continue with them. That's the hard part about this career, too, is that there's, you, know, you look back and you can think of numerous things that you could have done that maybe, in hindsight, you could have improved your you know, wherever you are in your career. Right. But you can't do that. You can't look back. You just got to make decisions where you're at and continue. On that, though, is there is there any, like, opportunity that came across where you're like, boy, that would that would have been crazy? Uh, you know, I don't know. I haven't I haven't had, do you mean any, like, offers for jobs or? or that's yeah, I mean, I like, um, you know, so when I was coming out of school, university, you know, I had opportunities. Like, I, I talked to people in Barrow, Alaska, and uh, I've thought about, you know, which if, if you're not aware, Barrow, Alaska is the northernmost city in the world. And uh, it's on the north shore of Alaska, uh, up in the Arctic Circle. And I've thought to myself several times, like, my life would have been pretty crazy if, yeah. <laughs> if I went to yeah. Barrow, Alaska. And so I don't know if, I, if, if you've ever had anything kind of come across where you've thought to yourself, like, whoa. Like, like that? Have you? Is there anything that comes well, to mind? There's, yeah, I, I haven't had any particularly uh, job offers or stuff. There's all anybody that's ever searched for airline jobs. There are always uh, opportunities to go overseas. There's opportunities in China. There's opportunities in India. Um, and I've considered those actually pretty heavily. I've had friends that gone and done that, and I thought, wow, what if I would have followed their footsteps? How would that would have? worked out. I've had friends that have gone up to Alaska and fly the bush up there, and I thought that that would have been pretty amazing. But I never really ventured down those roads. I really never put out an application or, or looked much more than just wonder. Um, so I haven't had any, too many of those. Most of the opportunities that have come up for me, I've taken. Um, so so my, my well, that would be crazy, is going to Hawaii and flying for island there. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's absolutely, absolutely. 
All right, so I, I wanted to ask you uh, a couple other things, if uh, if you don't mind. One one of the things that I wanted to get into is, um, so uh, how long have you been with SkyWest now? Um, I started SkyWest in January of two thousand seven. So okay, so you've been there years. for six years, and have yeah. have you? I mean, what's what's kind of your average like week? What's your or day or whatever? Uh, you know, I, mostly asking about your lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, as, as far as a, as a regional pilot, I think it's across the board. It's pretty similar for uh, most airlines. Um, of course, I haven't worked for uh, Pinnacle or Express Jet, even though we're connected. But uh, I would say it's pretty similar. They have a lot of different uh, schedules that you can fly. You can fly uh, what they call locals, or, or you come, you leave and come back the same day, or uh, up to five days out. Um, typically, a three, four-day trip is pretty common. I mostly do four-day trips. Uh, provides, for me, it seems to provide the best hours for money, um, based off of you know the best time away from home. I, so I'm not driving back and forth to the airport all the time. Right. Like worn out from doing locals all the time. Um, I just go out, do my four-day trip, and come home. And uh, they they vary every month depending on what the uh, the uh, major carriers need the regionals to do flying that month, and depending on how the how our airline wants to distribute that flying. Um, sometimes I have a trend where I'm going to Texas all the time, and sometimes I'm uh, staying out in the California system, and so it, it, it varies every month. So four days a week, you're out yeah. and about, and 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 I imagine that you've gone to places. <laughs> You know, they call them flyover states for a reason, right? And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so, like, I feel like you've, you've probably, like, you know, landed and it was the end of your shift and had four or five hours to kill in that town, sleep the night in the hotel, get up the next morning, go. Yeah. yeah. You've probably been to some places that you never imagined <laughs> you'd find yourself yeah. in. Uh, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you, you wake up in the morning and you... you it takes you a few minutes to even remember where you're at. I've even had once or twice where I've walked up, got up, and didn't know where I was at, and looked on the on the desk there at the hotel to see what what the hotel was. Because <laughs> you just get so busy in your routine all the time, and I, maybe, uh, maybe so, that doesn't happen to other guys. But I would I've talked to other guys, and they've they've done similar things. Where huh. you just you look out the window and go, where where in the world am I? So you, know? you sympathize with the rock star who comes out onto the stage <laughs> and says the wrong city. No, no, no. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know about the rock star, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not calling you a rock star. Don't, don't, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> I already got a big enough head by being an airline pilot. Don't need to get any bigger. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, no, I, I think I think that what we have a little trip that we carry with us all the time, showing us where our roots was. And I, I swear, if it wasn't for that, the flight attendants would say the wrong wrong city often. If they they still do, <laughs> because you just you just go to so many places, and particularly at SkyWest, since we fly for Delta, we fly for Alaska, we fly for um, um, United and, and American U.S. Airways. We're flying for everybody, and so we are all over the system. All right, and I'm sure it's the same for other guys in other places where you you fly to just different cities all the time. Wow, it's not a consistent routine. At least here at SkyWest, that's where it is. So, so let's you know, let's pick a place like um, 
I don't, is there a place that you've been to several times where you've thought to, to yourself, you know, this is actually kind of a little hidden gem? Hmm. Uh, that's that's a. I mean, it's hard because you. Sure, I, I love, uh, <laughs> it, it, but it's not. I don't know a hidden gem. I, I fly to Victoria, BC. Okay, yeah. And I love Vic, Victoria, BC. is a fantastic. I don't know how hidden you would call it, but I would definitely say that. It's but it's beautiful. Gem. I love it there. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. And the airport operations, their airport's always incredibly clean. There's all sorts of interesting flying around there. Uh, there's floats coming in and out. Um, local general aviation, the airlines are in and out. Um, it, it's really pretty cool. So in Victoria, right, it's got the ocean right there and then giant mountains that are snow-capped. Uh, yeah, yeah, Olympus is right there close by. And, uh, Olympia, I mean. And, no, it's, it's, it's quaint and it's quiet and it's really nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there's some small towns like I've flown um, into... So, uh, well, let me ask... Nebraska. Is another one that surprised me. Where's I that? About like Lincoln, Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay, it's actually a nice, clean little airport, and uh, it's really cool little town to spend a, spend a day. They go the hotel we have is right there on campus. Some of the college towns are really nice to stay at. And there's lots to do. So, yeah, really, it's always an adventure. So Lincoln's a good place if you got to kill four or five hours. There's there's things to do in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, as long as the whole. As long as the airline is friendly to your to where you're staying, because some of the, sometimes you get somewhere like you know that maybe it would be a good overnight, except for they stuck you out in the sticks. Right. You know? it, where's that? And then that's miserable. Like like where's a place that it could be good? Like a, you're intrigued by it, but based like, on where your hotel is, you know you're three or four miles away from anything, and since you don't have yeah. a car. Yeah. I, I, well, a bigger city, you know, they do that with us in Houston. You know, you're there by the airport. There's not a whole lot there. There's places to eat, but, you know, I'd like to go explore some parts of Houston, but we're in a spot where there's just nothing to do. Uh, <laughs> so it tends to drag. It tends to drag. Yeah, that's when you, you know what, you get playing uh, fantasy games, online fantasy f- football, and <laughs> you, you, read, get, you read books. I get my league ready to crush you the next week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. No, it just everybody everybody's got their different things they like to do. Either you pick up reading or you you So okay, and then I had one other uh kind of thing that I was wondering as I was thinking about this. So you're the first officer and you know the the glamour spot is obviously the left seat, right? So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you yeah. know, every everyone knows Chelsea Solenberger's name because uh, he was the captain right. and uh, nobody knows the name of the first officer. Uh, let me look at. I'll look up his name. But I, Skiles. 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 Yeah. Okay. First officer Skiles. Um, well, anyway, I I just wanted to. Yeah, Jeffrey Skiles. Good job. Sticking up for your uh, fellow first officer. Anyway, I, I wanted okay. to. I say, well, you knew his name. You know, you're sticking up for your fellow <laughs> first officer. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> you gotta have each other's backs. Uh, I I just wanted uh, to ask though, what's the difference between a captain and a first officer? Well, you'll have a I have a lot of captains uh, uh, tell me that there's not, nothing different. There's nothing different other than I find the paper, and that's what a lot of captains will say. I think it's a little bit a little bit being a little bit humble because the experience that they go through and the time um, there's nothing. 
there's nothing more valuable than experience when you're flying. Um, and they, and they, all the captains by default because of the seniority system are more experienced. They've been through more scenarios. And so I think that their, their job and their primary responsibility and why they get paid better is they are there to manage situations. Um, so they basically are the, uh, the lead there for, they're, they're our supervisor. And I think that's what they get paid for. So day in and day out, do they have very many situations where they necessarily do more? No. Um, but what happens when um, a passenger gets unruly or a situation happens where, you know, everybody talks about the Hudson and, you know, the uh, captain has to make a, a decision and then delegate his task. So, you know, F.O. Skiles wasn't just sitting around doing anything. He was trying to restart and relight those engine and running checklists. So he was busy, but it, but it was the captain who was in charge of delegating all those tasks. He's the general. And I think that's what he gets paid for. So it's that small percentage of time when when things have to be delegated and managed. And and a good captain does a good job at that. And that's that's what they get paid for. So All right. So, yeah, they, somebody, so they set the pace, huh? Jam something in the overhead. You know, this is this is this is what real life airline pilots have to do. With. All right. Like somebody's trying to jam something in the overhead. I've had a guy trying to put a, a gigantic vase in, in the overhead because he didn't want to put it back in the in the uh, cargo bin. Which, granted, I, I don't know if I'd want it to be broken in the cargo bin either. But he was throwing a fit because we he couldn't fit it, and we didn't allow him to put it on any other seat because we had a full airplane. And uh, it started getting pretty frantic. And before you have any what they call red coats, I guess, uh, or anybody that was at the airport to um, take care of the situation, you know, it kind of had to be taken care of. And so the captain has to stand up and kind of take care of things. Um, <laughs> so it's just, and it's just silly. That's I mean, what does that have to do with flying? But in the airlines, a lot of times the biggest problems are dealing with the passengers. Right. And, uh, how to help out the flight attendants in certain situations. Right. So they're so they kind of set the pace, I guess, for for how the day is going to yeah. go and how the flight. Okay. And yeah, absolutely. Do you ever do you ever have to take care of uh, problems in the back, like with passengers? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's that's that's our job as the FO. We're, okay. We're the we're the, uh, we're the checks and balances. So um, it might that's kind of the way I look at it. So we're the sidekick or the checks and balances. So when a captain isn't maybe holding his own or has overlooked something um, that you can recall, you're kind of that, you're kind of that stop game to say, oh, wait, wait, did you consider this? Or um, if you're uncomfortable with this, it needs to be done. I'm more than willing to help out. Uh-huh. Um, so, and those situations can come up, you know, you just depending on, on the captain you're flying with and their personality types. So if you have, let's say, <laughs> let's say you got, uh, are there ever times where, like, you know, somebody's being, you know, unruly or ridiculous uh, in the back, and you look at the captain, and you guys, you know, you two, two out of three rock, paper, scissors, see who's got to go handle it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had times where I've had a little captain, and, and they look at me, and they're like, you're bigger than me. Like, there it is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and they have to delegate. There's no rock, paper, scissors involved. But, uh, you know, I'm not that I like to make a scuffle, but I'm like, okay, here's my, yeah, you bet I'll do it. Yeah. But, uh, but. What's the craziest thing you've ever had to handle? Like, you know, is it people, you know, trying to, trying to join the, uh, the old mile high club or is it, 
<laughs> well, they, there's those stories, and there's this. I haven't had in you know. I don't. I don't. I'm not the flight attendant, so I don't know all the mile high stories. Sure, but they, I've heard them. Get together and we have dinner, and then you hear a story about uh, somebody under a blanket, and you just. Oh no! I'll keep it there, you know. But you just. Uh, I don't think it happens very often, but I. No. We've all heard of it. Yeah. Um, okay. But, so yeah, when they ask so, you, when they ask you, <laughs> would you like a blanket? You, the answer is no. <laughs> unless it's in a plastic bag and you're opening it. The answer's no. Okay, good. There's, good call. There's your, don't, don't be your own blanket. Insider information, folks. This is why you listen to the Aim High podcast. Um, right, yeah. Valuable information for your airline career. <laughs> Okay, so I, you know, I, I, I got to be honest though. I, I don't ever recall being on a flight and having the captain have to get involved. It, usually, it's you know the flight attendants just kind of handle it. Um, so yeah. you know, so I wasn't aware of that. Most most of the time they do. Um, if, if they don't handle it, a lot of time they'll get the uh, um, supervisor at the airport um, taking care of it. And uh, but sometimes you know you're in a situation where there's no supervisor available. They're not willing to do it. Something has to take care of, and not all, all the instances I'm talking about. They're on the ground. The door isn't closed because once once we take off and start flying, our door closes and it doesn't open up for anything. So we won't go in the back and settle a dispute in the back once the door closes. Um, and so ever since you know 9/11, that's that's strictly adhered to. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, all the instances I talk about. Um, there've been situations where we've we've landed and we're waiting for security right. personnel, or uh, we're just about ready to take off and, and and that sort of thing. All right. So, so yeah, you only yeah, have to you only have to do with shenanigans when you're on the ground, huh? Yeah. Well, it, to a point. Yeah. But then but the flight attendant calls up, and they they do have problems. So we had an issue where uh, you know a mother decided that it'd be a good idea to give their uh, kids that were. Uh, much younger. I think she was a couple of kids that were like 10 or 12, a bunch of alcohol she was buying and giving what? alcohol. Like, what? You can't, you can't do that. And the <laughs> was really upset. <laughs> and, so, and so she didn't know what to do, and then they had a disagreement on how to handle it, and so she called the captain, and then we had to discuss on how to handle it, and basically it was, it was like, you can't, you can't do that. Don't give her any more alcohol. And, All right. and then she got upset and was pretty... Um, unruly and so we gave her the ultimatum and had security meters and, and so it's, it's, it's simple little things like that um they can it can be a headache for the flight attendant but all you can do is and that's what the captain gets paid for all right to with. so and then i, I yeah go ahead uh, and you know what i don't want to undermine uh, uh, captain because he's also he's got a He's got to verify the paperwork. He's got to verify the airworthiness. He's the one that signs off on the paperwork before we fly, saying everything is okie dokie. And uh, yeah, weight and balance you know, is fine. All that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, and then uh, one other question on uh, FO versus captain. When it comes to communications with tower, is there any roles assigned on that? Um, is the captain the one who does the majority of communication? How does that work? Yeah, so, so what it is is we delegate uh, pilot flying, pilot monitoring now is what they call it. We used to call it pilot night flying, at least at our airline. Now it's pilot monitoring um, because we're still doing stuff. But anyways, uh, depending on the leg, the, the, the captain and the FO decide together 
who's going to fly which legs. Uh, we usually do round trips, so two and two. Uh, we do two legs. They do two legs. Um, and and then when you're the pilot monitoring, you control the radios, and you talk to the flight attendants in the back. Unless there's a major issue, then usually the captain delegates that. And uh, and that's, that's how it goes. You run the checklist as the FO, and uh, except for in the in, in flights and the code pilot monitor, pilot flying. Um, so that's how that works. So we delegate who's flying and who's not flying pretty evenly. Uh, we both do the same thing. All right. Uh, it's just when we're on the ground, FOs run the checklist, captains drive an airplane. Uh, but as far as flight duties, that's the only thing that's different. Well, I, I want to transition us into something we do every week. We do... Okay. We go over an NTSB report. I have an interesting NTSB report for us to cover. Uh, you want to go over that with me today? Yeah, that, that'd be interesting. This just in from the National Transportation Safety Board. Thursday, March 5th, 2009, Morristown, New Jersey. A Diamond DA-20 was being flown by a solo student pilot who had accumulated a total of 14 flight hours at the time of his accident. For a second solo flight, he received a flight release from his instructor to conduct conduct touch-and-go landings during the first takeoff on runway 23. The student added full power for the takeoff roll. As the front wheel began to lift off, the airplane drifted off to the left side of the 150-foot wide runway. The left wing struck the runway distance sign marked 5, destroying the sign that was situated approximately 36 feet from the runway edge. The student had, and in quotes, no sensation of a collision, end quote, and conducted three touch-and-go landings and a full stop before he terminated the flight. The student told the controller in the air traffic control tower that he experienced a momentary loss of control. Damage to the wing was discovered when the student returned the airplane to the flight school. The leading edge of the left wing was damaged from the landing light inboard, sorry, from the landing light inboard for approximately three feet. The inboard end of the damaged area exhibited splintering and separation of composite finish, binder, and cloth layers. The underside of the wing had an approximate six-inch hole that also exhibited splintered layers of composite finish, binder, and cloth material. The manager of the flight school reported that there were no airplane malfunction or mechanical failures before, either before or after the collision. The student indicated that the airport ATIS reported winds to be from 120 degrees at 9 knots. The National Transportation Safety Board determines the probable cause of this accident as follows. The student pilot's failure to maintain directional control during the takeoff roll. Let me ask you a question on that on that one. <laughs> so, how big? How wide was this runway? A hundred and fifty foot wide runway. Okay. Okay. And, and then the sign was just right off. All right. Sure. Say thirty six feet off the edge. Okay. Uh, uh, thir- th- yeah. So thirty six feet from the runway edge, he hits his left wing on the sign. Uh, let me ask you: Is it? Is it? Uh, do you believe the pilot's story that he had no sensation of a collision? Is that possible? Uh, I, well, it sounds like there was, I mean, I know that there's 
flight school was saying there's nothing wrong with the flight controls, but uh, splintering in a, in a six-inch hole, um, <laughs> it's, it's hard with these because you don't want to second-guess somebody, but at the same time, I would imagine he felt it. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Was he airborne at the time he hit it, or was it... No, 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 he... Well, I didn't catch that. Oh, sorry, yeah, so he, uh... Student added full power to the takeoff roll. As the front wheel began to lift off, the airplane drifted to the left side. Okay. Yeah. All right, that's right. So... Well, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a pretty good drift, and, uh... Well, and it's only nine knots. That's the wind. Yeah. That's... Yeah, well... What runway does it say? He was on runway, uh, runway uh, two three says. So it's a little bit of a crosswind. Um, yeah, I don't know what the limitations on air crosswind. I, I think mine was something like five knots or something small when I was doing my solo flying. Right. Um, so he might have been right against that. It's hard. You don't want to second guess somebody, but you go, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I just I have a hard time believing that. Uh, the, how do you have no idea that something has happened? You 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 didn't but, you didn't visually see that you started to roll off to the left of the of the 150 foot wide runway. But and not only that, but now your your wheels are off the ground. You right. Strike something that's on the ground. It's like immediate drag, is it not? Exactly. And what is your airplane going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't feel anything break, but I sure yawed really good. Yeah. You know. Well, what will cause that, you think? Well, that's the thing. But he's saying he had no sensation of the collision or anything. I I, I mean, and then the other thing is, is then after he's done with this, he goes up and and he decides he's going to conduct, what, three touch and rolls and a full stop after this has been done. Uh you know, let's say you're up. Maybe your decision is, is I got, you know, I'm starting to go up. I'm out of runway. I, I need it. I need to see if I can, you know, carry this up. I don't know. Right, but I, I don't think that I would have continued to uh, <laughs> fly my no. my plan, which was three touch and goes. I would just have asked for for full stop and and but, gotten done yeah. with it. I mean, this is look, guys. You know, hey, I know that everybody does three takeoffs and land when they do their solo, and it's really cool and it's a badge of honor. But you don't have to do them all at once, you know, and that's what. Just stop. <laughs> Assess the damage. Right. Take a breath. Do it again another day if you have to. Right. I mean, it's not. It's it's fun. It is important to us. But uh, there's a lot of other variables that get involved when you start smacking uh, signs <laughs> off a hundred foot runway. I don't know what the wingspan. I don't. I never flown the Diamond aircraft. I don't know what their wingspan is. I think it's fairly long relative to other general aviation. Right, um, but um, I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty good drift. And Do you probably drifted about eighty feet? Yeah. One of the common threads that we find when we discuss these NTSB reports, uh, one of the things that Mark always refers to is uh, how much fear—fear uh, fear of what the FAA is going to do to you—comes yeah. yeah. <laughs> into the mind the of the pilot. Well, and, and that comes into the mind of the operator, too. I mean, just by the comment, oh, there was no damage uh, to flight controls. Well, yeah, but there's damage to, you know. There's damage to the wing. Airfoil. That's certainly going to hurt your yeah. aerodynamics and how that's going to work yeah. out. Yeah. 
absolutely stopped the flight. I mean, it, it should he have continued after he hit the, the sign? There's a lot of variables. Sure, he could have continued, but I would have been trying to get on the ground as soon as I could right. without, you know, major maneuvers. And I don't know how long that runway is, but maybe even just do a, do a touch down again when you have a smaller airplane that doesn't have a whole lot of airspeed. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's like said. It's funny because you get... You get so worried about being in trouble that you want to cover things up and you want to hide things. And let's get our story. You know, the, the, the scary thing you ever hear other co-pilots say, whether you're flying general aviation or not. And it's said, and, it, and I understand the reason why, but let's get our story straight before we talk to any FAA guys. And, <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that. But let's get the truth straight before we talk to anybody, you know. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard because I don't. You don't start making up stories when something happens. It is what it is. You um, can only make it worse for yourself, right? Yeah, I, I I subscribe to that. I don't I don't think that you help by creating a story. Um, I mean, I guess if you're protecting your license, and there is a lot lots said to be protecting your license. You work real hard for that, um, but it is what it is. You just come clean. Yeah. Um, there's too many movies. There's too many movies about how you can, uh, you know, foil, foil the authorities. And I, my my sense is is that that's probably a very uncommon phenomenon. I think yeah. they they probably get you more times than not. The FAA is going to figure out what's going on. Right. Yeah. And and just back to that scenario. Regardless of the FAA, I mean, you just lost control, right. taken off. On your solo, second time he's you know ever how soloed. Easy that could have been, yeah. How easy it could have been ground roll that thing. No, um, I know. And fourteen hours of flight time. It's not like he, you know, was was super <laughs> experienced, yeah. right? And, yeah. yeah, it's not. It's, it's it's just totally. It's not worth it. And we, you, you know, people get excited about either. You know, I had a, I, I had a guy came off. I signed him off on a on a BFR and, and got him recertified to fly our airplanes at the local FBO. And uh, everything was fine. He seemed like a great guy, but he uh, was a little, rather larger guy, and he was flying the 172. Came back to work one day in our airport, Benton Field is where I flew, uh, set up on a bluff. And I was just coming, and I saw our 70, 172 take off the edge of the bluff and sink. Oh, no. And oh, no. the power line down the way, you know, and it, you clear without ease, but if you're not getting any altitude, um, you know, several thousand feet you're already hitting the power line. Anyways, he got enough climb that he missed the power line probably by about, I don't know, 100 feet, which is pretty tight in a plane. Wow. And, yes. Uh, yes. So I thought, well, I'm going to sit around and see who this was and see if, you know, why. Because it, you know, it gets hot there, too, in Reading, and that was a factor. Well, anyways, when they pulled up, uh, it was the guy that I just did this <laughs> biannual to for, which scared me to death. Um, and people kept coming out of that plane like clowns. I mean, there was just people and people. Really? I'm surprised. I think he had, you know, that seats, seats four people. Yeah, probably. 172, four people. Yeah. And so, um, and they were all large individuals coming out of there. And I think he had four adults and a kid in there. And... Uh, Wow, I was. Needless to say, we we talked again about 
density altitude, and we talked about making sure that you have all the parameters. But he just got to a situation where he had his friends. He just got his. He just got recertified to be able to fly again. He was excited to go take all of his friends flying, and right. and there wasn't anything that's going to stop him. And this is a perfect example with this this story. You know, the NTSB report. Wow. Just, just stop. Yeah, <laughs> there'll be another day. Yeah, that's right. Well, and if if all your friends are the Dallas Cowboys linemen, you need to take them up maybe one at a time, right? <laughs> right. Don't, don't go eat. Don't go eat pizza before you go. You know? <laughs> oh no, man! Now, how much did you joke with this guy about that? I feel like you, you know, I feel like any time that you ever eat ate with him, you know, you you ought to have said, you know, maybe maybe it's time to. You know, right. P- PB&J sandwiches six times a day probably isn't going to work, man. Salad a couple I, I times. Know. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm I'm a big dude, but come on. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they were they were you know I don't know if they're as tall as you, but big like you, and and but like you know six two six three big guys. Right. Um, and but anyways. Um, and then a yeah, kid as well. I mean, I, that's the yeah. Anyway, yeah. What with the, was the kid sitting on their lap? I mean, come on. You know, it's yeah. you, that's yeah. just craziness. Sure, I mean, technically, be fine if he's a smaller kid, but um, yeah. So what? The, the, I don't know if I I handled it as professionally as I could, but at the same time, I was I was a little upset. You know, sure, and I was concerned. And we go back to the FAA. I was concerned about my license. This guy gets an accident, and I'm concerned. And I'm also concerned about his personal well-being and then the four people that he's playing with yeah uh, but i could see the second i saw him and he saw me he was shaken he knew he knew instantly well yeah and so yeah i just you know i i don't remember the exact words but i did remember i asked him i said how how heavy did you take did you fill up the tanks all the way oh no you know? yeah and, and and he says oh we went here and there but we had it pretty full it's like oh so how heavy how heavy were you oh man you know? Because it's pretty hot outside, you know, and and at that point he knew, he knew that I knew, and I, I think that, that enough was said. I didn't, I didn't say, oh, you can't fly here for the school. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe some other guys would have handled it differently. No, yeah. We maybe. never saw him. We never saw him around anymore, though. Yeah, I was there for another year and a half. I never saw. I never saw him again. He never pulled his card to rent a plane again. Yeah. Um, and I feel bad about that because I don't want to discourage a guy from flying, but. Well, I think that it was more that he was scared, man. I mean, yeah. you know, I think that's a big part of it. I think when you, when you get into a situation like that, you know, they always say, I'd rather be on the ground dreaming I was up there than in the air dreaming, hoping oh, I was so on true. the ground, right? And, so true. And, uh, I, you know, I, yeah. I think when you face that, it might, it might mess with you a little bit. Yeah. So with this guy, this guy, was he in Jersey? Was it New Jersey? Yeah, it was in yeah. Morristown, New Jersey, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I'm glad that he got his solo done, but my goodness, just doing another day. I, I think I think most most guys with any kind of experience would say, you'll have plenty of time to fly again. I'm glad that it didn't turn out worse than it could have been because it could have really turned out bad. All right. Well, we've been on for almost an hour now. I just wanted to uh, I wanted to thank you for for coming on. One of the things that I want to finish our show with is I have a, I have a challenge for you. Uh, okay. As a commercial pilot, I've always thought you have a, a real opportunity to pull a few pranks on people. 
And and I I wanted to challenge you and see if you'd be willing to do something that I've dreamed. No. No, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's not I already know you too well. It doesn't involve it doesn't involve any sort of aerobatics or anything like that, obviously. This is what it is. Okay, so let's say uh, let's say you're in Salt Lake City and you're gonna fly from Salt Lake and you got a bunch of people who are going to John Wayne Airport. They're going to uh, Orange County to go to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. You've probably made that flight before, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you go through, yeah. you do the whole thing. You know, uh, this is this is the captain speaking from the front. You know, and I, by the way, I'm I'm doing pilot voice. Um, you barely understand it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, uh, you just showed some authenticity there for it. But you you, you go through and. Uh, you say, okay, uh, w- welcome, and we're on our way to the ha- you know the county with the happiest place on earth, Orange County today. Temperature there is wonderful, eighty-two degrees, and we'll be there in a couple hours. And okay, all right, and and then you go right, and you you leave, you fly, you fly, and then you know your thirty minutes or twenty minutes. Uh, we begun our descent. Uh, we're landing now. You're actually about to land in Orange County because you have to for your job, but. You start you start saying Omaha, Nebraska, instead, and we're 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 beginning our descent into Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> just to see people squirm. Just yeah, you just keep doing it until they can see the palm trees out their window. Right. Uh, right. I feel like that would be that awesome. Be, yeah, I probably have done it on accident. Anyway, so I've already done it. <laughs> well, it's it's funnier when you do it on purpose. Um, it's better when you, yeah, I bet so. <laughs> it's at least more, it's at least it's more funny for you. I think about it. I was doing uh, Los Angeles, uh, Las Vegas, uh, numerous times one day. And I think I was going into Las Vegas, and I, I said, uh, "We'll be landing in Los Angeles here shortly." And they fly it to the say, "Sure, we're going the right way." But <laughs> yeah, sure. Poor little kids, you know, they're all jazzed up to go to Disneyland, and you're going to tell them they're probably not even listening. That's the thing. No one listens to us anyway. Yeah. Because we, because we mumble in the radio anyway, so. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, you know, sometimes I hear, last question, then we'll go. Do you ever do you ever tell jokes up there from the front? I would, but uh, that's uh, this is probably why I'll never get hired as a commercial pilot. Well, that's why all your listeners are asleep right now. I'm not. I'm not that entertaining, so I don't tell jokes. I'm not great at that. There's a few. Uh, yeah. There's a few that I've heard do it. Um, so I was yeah. just going to see if that was. I don't think. I don't. I don't think people would think it's funny if I got on the PA and say, "Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, uh, everything is under control now. Uh, enjoy your flight." <laughs> I don't think that'd be that funny. I think it's funny. I wouldn't laugh. Or you. Or you should do. Uh, or you should quote the movie Airplane several times. <laughs> <laughs> Today we have the chicken and the fish, right? And uh, but I'll be having the lasagna, right? That's uh, anyway. Uh, we really, really appreciate you coming on, and uh, thank you. Uh, be safe in all your flying and, and taking the people to crazy places like Regina and Saskatchewan. Uh, you know what, Minot, North Dakota, Bismarck. Yeah. Uh, all those luxurious places, absolutely. Midland, Texas. Yep. Be safe. Thanks for coming on again. You're, you're welcome. Good luck with the podcast. All right. Thanks. All right. And thank you 
for listening to this episode. Sorry that Mark isn't here. Sorry, it's just me this week. Uh, but we do appreciate you listening. Uh, Mark is actually out and about flying his new jet. Uh, so who, who can blame him for missing a week with us? But uh, we had an opportunity to uh, have Dustin Ivory on and, and have an interview with him. And we also didn't want any of you to miss a week of podcast with us. So we do thank you for listening. Share it with your friends. Also, if you have any questions for the show, Feel free to send them to me, Keith, at aimhigh.com, aim, A-M-E, uh, for Aviation Made Easy, aimhigh.com. And again, oh, we've had a couple questions actually on uh, who do we use for music for the podcast. And I want to just take a minute and thank our friend Ronald Jankies. Ronald Jankies is a YouTube sensation. If you haven't seen him, just type it in, Ronald Jankies, J-E-N-K-E-E-S. And, uh, and listen to him. You can also go to RonaldJankies.com uh, to check out his new music. He just released a new CD just a couple of months ago, and uh, he uh, specializes in just making instrumental beats. And uh, as you have heard, they are quite awesome. So thank you, Ronald Jankies, for letting us use your music uh, on this podcast. And uh, as Mark would say, tailwinds to all of you. Thank you for listening to the Aim High Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Aim underscore High and like us on Facebook. And if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes. We know you have many choices when it comes to your podcast, and we thank you for choosing ours. When you're learning how to fly, Aim High. Aviation made easy.